0: I want to ask, and normally this would be rhetorical, but I want to ask by show of hands, how many of you read this text in preparation for this sermon? Okay. All right, so we got two, and that's including the pastor. But all of you at this point have now heard this text, and you may be sitting in the pew thinking, what on earth? That's where I was Thursday Friday, Saturday, and this morning at 1135. Because this story seems to be more akin to the daytime soap operas that our mothers used to tell us, turn the channel, don't watch that. But this, and even this, God is using very unordinary circumstances to bring about His people. God has covenanted with Abraham and through Isaac and now to Jacob and to his offspring the same things from Genesis chapter 12 on forward, that he will make a people out of Abraham and his offspring. And this is the family tree. I've just got to say, in the New Testament, there's a lot of Jewish pride a lot of is israelite pride when you go back to the family tree i don't know that i would talk about that i'm just saying you go to elementary school and you have children picking on you and calling you names for for far less than Oh, Issachar, don't talk to us because your mom is actually not your mom. Your dad had you through a slave. This is bizarre. And I don't mean that in a we should just throw this out and move on. Because this is still God's word. And what a beautiful reminder that God's word doesn't whitewash things. God's word doesn't say, yeah, man, that, that does actually, that's pretty bad. We should just, uh, let's create a different narrative. No, God's word shows it is as bad as it looks. And in the midst of these things, God still, through his sovereignty, through his providence, through his grace, uses even this to bring about a people For his namesake. And so, episode 37 of General Hospital. I mean, Genesis 29. One author notes of this section that both Leah and Rachel's deepest longings were unattainable to themselves. For Rachel... While she had the love, approval, and affection of her husband, she longed for children. She yearns, longs, and strives to bear children for Jacob. Leah, on the other hand, is able to bear children, yet she yearns for his love, affection, and approval. Verse 31 picks up right where verse 30 left off. Genesis chapter 29, verse 30 says, Jacob slept. Let's go back for context. Remember the whole story where Jacob goes back to his ancestors, to his mother's kin, and he's to find a wife, right? Isaac tells him not to marry from the Canaanite women. So he goes back and he finds his uncle Laban. And what does Laban do when Jacob says, I want to marry Rachel. The morning after their wedding, it's not Rachel that he wed, it's Leah. So after seven years of working for Rachel, he finds out this is not the one who the text says was beautiful and shapely, whatever that means in ancient Hebrew. But she was beautiful in the eyes of Jacob. But then we see that he works another seven years to finally wed Rachel. And after wedding Rachel, it says in verse 30 of chapter 29, that Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. Conflict. But while he loved Rachel, we're reminded in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was neglected, he opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to conceive. And so the striving and the strife ensues. One commentator labels this section as birth wars. We're not going into that territory. But it is true, there is a striving and a strife between these two sisters that reminds us that while the Bible might not give the intense clarity by coming out and saying, thus the Lord says, polygamy is wrong. It shows us in narrative like this, polygamy is not right. Polygamy is wrong wrong and it will not ever benefit anybody it's not going to benefit the husband it's not going to benefit any of the wives and it's not going to benefit the children striving and strife ensues leah even when she births son after son for in just the first five verses what ought to have been a joyous occasion for leah is tainted with the desire for the love of her husband So my main thrust that I want you to take home this morning is make pleasing God your ultimate longing. Make pleasing God your ultimate longing. As we get into this text with Rachel and Leah and their slaves, Bilhah and Zilpah, there is a striving and a pursuing to please anyone and everyone outside of Yahweh. Leah wants to be approved by her husband. Rachel wants to provide for her husband a child. All of these things devoid and neglecting the one who made them. This desire is tainted by the desire for the love of her husband in Leah's part. And we should be reminded of the sin of the striving and desire brought on by the curse of sin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. In proclaiming the curse over the man and the woman, He turns, this is God, turns to the woman and says, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful Effort your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. This situation is not happening in a vacuum devoid of sin. It is happening precisely because of it. It is happening because sin rules and reigns. Leah desires her husband's love, affection and attention. Just look at her words when she gives birth to her sons. Look with me at verses 32 through 35 and her responses. She says things like, surely my husband will love me now. Don't you think that would be more appropriate to say, man, how awesome it is that Reuben is born? There is a striving and a desire for the affections of another and not for Yahweh. Look at verse 34. She says, at last, my husband will become attached to me. Remember, this is an interesting thing that the Bible lets us in on. One commentator says that the Bible doesn't say that Leah felt hated, that Leah felt neglected. The Bible says she was. She was neglected. That's how the CSB, which I'm preaching out of this morning, the ESV and other translations use the the more intense word hated to denote that Rachel received priority and Leah was kind of just there. At last, my husband will become attached to me. Verse 35, and finally, upon the birth of her fourth son, she utters... This time I will praise the Lord. And you may look and you may say, Man, that's great. But then the rest of the narrative plays out where it continues to be this race to who can provide my husband the most children? Who can do these things? And Leah stopped having children in verse 35. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she envied her sister because that's a right and appropriate and holy response. The New Testament over and over again says that it is envy and strife that causes wars and dissensions and divisions. Yet here we see Rachel envying her sister. And then who does she take this out on? She goes to Jacob. Have we heard anything like this before? Yes. Abram and Sarah. She is upset that she and he are unable to have a child. And so what does she do? The same thing that they're granddaughter does, provides a mediator between her and Jacob. It's an interesting thing to note, right? When you look at uh, narrative passages, you've you've got this story that Scripture is trying to point home some uh, driving force, and it's doing so by this storytelling, this narrative. Uh, factual, yet uh, narrative, narrative history. And so here we see that as this is going on, the actors in the story are really Leah and Rachel. Leah and Rachel are the majority of this story. You have verse 29, or 20, 31, rather, where God sees and we see at the end of this section that God also remembers in verse 22. So God is certainly the one acting behind the scenes as he has promised and covenanted with Jacob through Isaac and Abraham to make a people, right? These are not just random people. These are what will be the 12 tribes of Israel, But so as it's doing so, God is an actor, and Leah and Rachel are certainly actors. And in the middle of it, you have Jacob who just, to be honest, he kind of seems like a bum. I haven't asked permission, but a friend close to me Uh, in talking about this passage, just said, yeah, it seems like Jacob's just kind of, yeah, okay, all right, I guess I'll sleep with you tonight, and I guess I'll just go and sleep with you. What? Remember, we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a foundational person, and certainly the Lord is not done with him yet, But in this scene, one could easily pick him apart and say, what? This is who God uses. I don't want anything to do with that God. No, you want everything to do with this God. Why? Because we don't come with any standing in and of our own. We come just like conniving Jacob. We come just like Yeah, I'll sleep with whoever. Jacob, that's who we are apart from Christ. So if God were to write him off, we're all done for. That God has chosen to reveal himself, to, in one sense, uh, to covenant himself with people sinful and flawed like Jacob, that brings hope. To all of us. And what an interesting reminder. That it's not because of anything Jacob has done. Is doing or will do. No. It's because the seed of Jacob is coming. And that salvation. Just as in the New Testament. Is in the Old Testament. By faith. By trusting in the covenant promises of Yahweh. Jacob receives By grace. That should bring us great hope. When Jacob is approached by Rachel, the text says he became angry and said, Am I in the place of God? He has withheld offspring from you. Not only is he conniving, not only is he willing to sleep with anybody in the text, but he also probably didn't go through premarital counseling. One of the unique things in being a pastor is getting to know stories and knowing that not being able to have children is a difficult Walk. This is not small things for others. And while it is true that it is the Lord who blesses by opening the womb, we must be reminded that the closing of Rachel's womb is not like the closing of Abimelech and his nation. This is not God's judgment. This is not. In one sense, His desire, because we see towards the end of our text God hears her cries. One commentator says that Leah and Rachel must have shared uh, tents opposite one another. And here in these first five verses that we've read, Leah's now had four children and Rachel's had none. Rachel would have been in her tent hearing the cries of her child uh, of her sister's children and continued time after time after time crying out to God why not me why not me maybe that's you this morning i don't think i have perfect words to say For God sees and God hears and God acts. But in this moment, after Jacob's foolish response to his wife, she comes up with an idea akin to her grandmother. Here's my maid Bilha. Go sleep with her, and she'll bear children for me, so that through her I too can build a family. So Rachel gave her slave Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Rachel said, God has vindicated me. Yes, he has heard me and given me a son. So she named him Dan. Remember, we've got to be in the historical context of where this is, because this seems really weird. When we had William, mom gets a wristband that has a tracker. (laughs) Baby gets a wristband that has a tracker. Dad gets a wristband that has a tracker. Something like this would definitely be stopped by modern medicine. No, you're actually not going to take somebody's kid, but this was normal. This was normal in that they would assume and would uh, have this child through essentially a surrogate in a different sense, uh, and it would become theirs. This is not normative behavior in 2022. And again, it's not what God planned. Rachel's slave, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, in my wrestlings with God, I have wrestled with my sister and won. How interesting, how delirious can we get when we have a goal and someone stands between us and that goal? We start to say things that just are incoherent and make no sense. And you're like, what is What is wrong with you? In my wrestling with God, I'm upset. I'm fighting with God. But in this, I've also wrestled with my sister. And while I can't defeat God, I've defeated my sister. Not normative conversation. That is what happens when our desire gets away from anything other than pleasing God and Him alone. We begin to get these secondary things that come into our mind, come into our hearts, come into our goals, dreams, whatever, and we pursue those things devoid of pursuing God in Christ. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children... Because this striving and strife hadn't gotten to its apex, she also took her slave and gave her to Jacob as a wife. How many wives are we up to for Jacob? That's four. Praise God for his grace. When Leah's slave Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, Leah said, I am happy that the women call me happy. So she named him Asher. In this narrative, in verse 14 and following, Reuben, the oldest, went out during the wheat harvest and found some mandrakes in the field. When he brought them to his mother Leah, Rachel asked, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah replied to her, isn't it enough that you have taken away my husband? Now you also want to take my son's mandrakes? Well then, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come with me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So Jacob slept with her that night. Jacob has simply become material. His wives are not viewing him with the personhood granted to him in creation. How do I know that? they're, They're literally exchanging physical relations for fruit. When do you do that? When you have no care or desire for your fellow humanity. Jacob is being used once again, not by his uncle Laban, but by his own wives. He becomes, so to speak, their property at which they can bargain and barter at whatever cost seems right. So Jacob slept with her that night. God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my slave to my husband, and she named him Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and Jacob, uh, and bore Jacob a sixth son. God has given me a good gift, Leah said. This time, my husband, right? Let, I'm just going to pause right here. God has given me a good gift. Oh, praise God. The Lord. Leah's finally there. She's not back in, uh, you know, kid number three, kid number two, where it's like, I need to get the love, honor and affection of my husband. I'm like, actually, praise the Lord for this. So you see, uh, God has given me a good gift. You're like, oh, praise the Lord. Leah's Leah's there. This time, my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. And she named him Zebulun. What a crazy reaction. Child number one, maybe my husband will love me. Child number two, maybe this time he'll be drawn to me. Child number three, same thing. Four, same thing. Five, same She's seeking the approval of him by what she can do. And here, even with child number six, this time, if only this time, God will honor me. My husband will honor me because I've borne him a sixth son. When we make pleasing other people, there is no depth of darkness that it will lead us down. Why? Because we always want more. But when we seek the approval of God, we run to Him with all that we have, recognizing that all we have is nothing. That when we seek to please God, when we seek to make that our ultimate longing, we are assured in Scripture that when we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. That when He says, come to me, He really means it. And He doesn't say, "What what will you bring with you? He just says to us individually, come to him. The trap of approval of man can end horrifically. We think this story here or the backgrounds of different soap operas are outlandish. They're really not. Think even in your own life of what the approval of men or the approval of women has done to you. Perhaps it's caused anxiety, not to maybe a horrific point, uh, but at least in small part. Oh man, what are they going to think of me? Am Am I wearing the right clothes to fit in? We have a lot of young mothers in the room. I've never been a young mother. I don't intend to be one. But there is this incredible thing called mom shaming. And I think it's not just for moms, it's it's for women. There is this, this judgmental ability to cast any stones at any inferiority that doesn't line up with another person's opinions of you. If we seek the approval of those people, it will always lead us to the proverbial carrot and horse trick. It will always be sticking out in front of us and we'll never be able to attain it. The same goes just by the approval of broader society. This isn't being recorded, so I can say it pretty openly. I was the weird one at the wedding. That was strange. If we seek the approval for anything outside of being authentically who we've been made in Jesus, it will lead to ruin. So what do we do? What would our counsel be for Leah and Rachel? Make pleasing God your ultimate longing. Make pleasing Him your ultimate longing. Now, we, we don't have perhaps the full story here. We don't have in these short verses all of the reactions and responses that Rachel and Leah had potentially alone in their own tents of crying out and pleading with God. But it's important to note that other places in Scripture Rebecca is our most recent. When Rebecca is pregnant with Jacob and Esau, what does she do when she feels the turmoil within her womb? What does she do? She beseeches the Lord. When later in the Old Testament, uh, another is pleading to become pregnant and to conceive a child, what does she do? Hannah goes before God. Hannah pleads, their absence of these types of prayers in Genesis 29 and 30 makes it seem as though they were not seeking God, as if to say he really doesn't have the power and authority that we wished he might have. But we see, sandwiched in between this chaotic story, In chapter 29, verse 31, the Lord saw. And in verse 22 of of chapter 30, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and he opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and she said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add another son to me. This remembrance is similar to what we see when God remembers Noah in Genesis chapter 8. It's not that he forgot Noah. It's not that he forgot Rachel. It's that he remembered them. He saw, he heard, and he stepped in. What great news that our God sees, our God hears, and our God acts. What a reminder of the gods of old, the little G gods. The same is true for us. The approval of men can be a little G God for us. But we're reminded through Isaiah and through the Psalms and other places that the gods that they worshipped made of wood and stone and all of these materials, They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't act. They have feet and they can't move. They have eyes, but they can't see. We don't worship a God like that. Amen? We worship a God who sees. He created all things. He sees and He acts in His goodness and for His glory. Why wouldn't we want to make our ultimate pursuit to please God? Make pleasing God your ultimate longing. I want to ask three questions in conclusion for you to be able to ponder and think of Three questions coming from this text. Question one, do I recognize God's activity in the world and in my own life? Do I recognize God's activity in the world and in my own life? It might be very easy for us to look at other activities or other individuals and say, man, God has really blessed them and neglect the way in which He has blessed you. Spiritual blessings. Physical blessings. God is active in the world. He saw Leah. He remembered Rachel, and He opened her womb. God is active in the world, and He is active in your life. Question number two, in what ways do I seek the approval, affection, praise of men over God? In what ways do I seek the approval, affection, praise of men over God? For Leah and Rachel, there was no rock bottom. There was nothing they wouldn't do to receive the approval, praise, love and affection of their husband, even going to the level of providing for him their slave. They strived with one another. They fought, they bickered, they envied one another. Perhaps maybe some of us this morning even are striving with another. We're seeking the approval of another. Could be in the church, could be at work, could be at home. what might it look like for us to give up that striving and pursue pleasing God as our ultimate aim? Question number three. Have I acknowledged my sin before Him and trusted in His Son, Jesus? Have I acknowledged my sin before Him and trusted in His Son, Jesus. You may say that doesn't really correlate between the other two questions that you had. I think it does. Because the only way for sinful humanity to please a holy God is not by bringing to him sacrifices of praise or of goods. The only way is through his son. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says that without Faith, no one can please God. Apart from Christ, no one can please God. So friend, if you are here and you might be striving like Rachel and Leah to please God and you find yourself to continually be on the short end, let me plead with you. It will be a never-ending Battle. The only way to please God is come to an end of yourself and trust in Christ as the only means to be able to appease and please God the Father. For just as Isaiah says, even our best deeds are like filthy rags before the eyes of the Lord. But Jesus' sacrifice was a pleasing aroma. We don't come on our behalf. We cannot please God on our own behalf. The only one who has pleased God the Father is God the Son. And He bids us come to turn from our sin, to trust in Him and Him alone. For when we please God, when it is truly our ultimate longing. It is then and only then. Envy and strife will still be a part of life, but it is then and only then that by the Spirit's power working within us, we can be more like Jesus, put envy and strife to death, because we are not seeking to please one another, but we're seeking to please God.